the youth can head to their practice, 4 to 10, when they already left. <laughs> I thought Justice said for them to stay in here for that part, but you did, okay. They were anxious to avoid hearing me. <laughs> All right, Colossians chapter 2. We're in verse 16. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you die to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we thank you for the amazing weather you gave us yesterday for the fall party. We thank you for um, just the joyous hearts of service that people had and the different duties they had, just the smiles and laughter of the people that came and had a good time and how we were able to bless them um, with crafts, with games, with food and with the gospel message, Lord. We do pray for all those that did not know you, Lord, and do not know you, that they would hear that message and would have heard it and respond in faith. That seeds would be planted, that you would keep the enemy from snatching away the words of the gospel, Lord, and it would bear uh, fruition in many, many people's lives. Thank you, Father, that you are a good God, and you use us as your ambassadors to take forth the word. Lord, we pray for our, our youth as they're practicing for a Christmas musical. Lord, they're learning songs about you. And so I pray that, that those songs wouldn't just be words that they sing, but it would, it would um, just land truth into their heart and that they would, each one of them, come to know you at an early age. God, we thank you for the work you're doing across this world, that your gospel continues to go forth, not just in, in this land, but um, across the world. We continue to pray for the cooks as they raise their support. Um, help them to cross that finish line financially so that we can send them off and they can start the work that you've called them to do. Lord, we pray for Israel um, and the heartache and challenge and war that they're now in, that you would be with them, give wisdom to their leaders in the best approach. We pray for the hostages to be um, returned safely, God, and that you would use um, such a horrible tragedy and incident and war uh, to bring people to know you that in the midst of darkness and hurt and pain that your glory would shine bright remind israel who their true god is lord and also remind them who the true son is let them see your son for who he truly is their messiah thank you lord that you are good to us and for sending jesus to be our messiah as well the one who saves the one who laid down his life for us, for it is in him and him alone that we have life. Lord, bless the preaching of your word now, we ask for your glory. Amen.
Okay, there's three main areas that are addressed in this section that we just read, dealing with different aspects of, you could call it, false teaching. The first one is legalism. And legalism, just probably a short definition, is requiring obedience in areas where the Bible does not require it. One of the parties guilty in the New Testament would be who doing that? The Pharisees, right? Adding to the law. So they had the written law, but they also had what became known as the oral law. And so they would put um, what many people call a, a, a fence around the Torah. So they were so concerned about breaking those laws that they added additional laws that were not just um, laws that maybe they found in Scripture, but additional laws that they just added. Adding laws that required obedience, strict obedience, and we see that sadly even today in Christianity today. So that would be one area that Paul addresses here. The next is asceticism. Asceticism really is just a severe self-discipline. Uh, strict avoidance of any self-indulgence. And then there's a mysticism. Not, uh, I would say, a Christian mysticism, but a mysticism which involves odd or unusual forms of communion with God, in this case, including angel worship. And as we're going to see, um, it, it, this mysticism ties in to the Gnosticism that really is kind of um, spoken against in the book of Colossians and dealt with. Each of these is a false teaching. False teachings come in many shapes and sizes. And how do we recognize false teaching? Because when it comes in so many shapes and sizes, that can make it so challenging to spot. So how do we recognize it? Well, you know the truth well. You become a student of the word. You know the, the truth uh, so well so that when you see um, something that purports to be true, you can tell whether it's truth or false. You can see the counterfeit for what it is. Look at John chapter 8. John chapter 8, verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. How many of you have heard that verse before? How many of you have heard just verse 32, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free, just quoted by itself? I probably heard that quoted by itself, verse 32, uh, a hundred times more than I've seen both those verses together. But if you want to understand that verse properly, there, there's colleges even today still, they haven't chiseled it off, that like have it chiseled on their building, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Of course, they don't have verse 31, right? But what, what is the key? What is the, the guarantee of knowing the truth and the truth setting you free? You, you have to do verse 31. If you abide in my word and you are truly my disciples. Okay, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So, so you have to be abiding in the word. It begins with abiding. Too many want knowledge without relationship. Too many want knowledge without relationship. They, they want to know about Jesus. 
but they don't want to know Jesus. They want to know about the word, but they don't want to know the word. And so you have um, departments at secular universities, including the one I went to, that have people learning all sorts of different religions, including about Christianity. Why? Because they just like to learn about different religions. And yeah, guess what? I was one of those religious studies majors. God was gracious to save me before I went into it, but there's all, I met all sorts of people that they had a, a drawing to religion. Gee, I wonder why, because God placed eternity in their hearts, and they're trying to figure it out, but they're trying to approach it just from an intellectual pursuit, and become an academic study. They weren't really concerned about knowing God, the true God. It was just, it was just study for them, and so <clears throat> people approach it with, with just their head, and not their heart, and guess what? You're just going to end up knowing about certain things. I, I know a whole lot about um, Islam, Buddhism, Hinduism, a, a lot of knowledge. I don't have any heart knowledge with that stuff, praise the Lord, but I can tell you all sorts of things about it, and there's many people who can tell you all sorts of things about Christianity, but guess what? They don't know Jesus. They don't know him, and so if you want to actually be a believer, a true believer, it's more than just knowledge. Now, is knowledge important? Yes. You kind of have to know the facts before you can believe in them. So there is, there is that aspect of faith that includes knowledge. And then there's that aspect of faith that you have to actually believe that the knowledge is true. That's the ascent. But that's where a lot of people stop. There's, there's three aspects of faith when you really talk about it, like a saving faith. But a lot of people stop after the first two. So they've, they've got the knowledge, and then they believe that information is true, but then they don't get to the third thing, which is the thing that really makes it all work, and that's they trust it. They trust the information being relayed and that the person of Jesus really is their Savior. They don't just see that as, you know, and so <clears throat> many, many, many people fill many, many, many churches, and they only have those first two. I was one of them for many years. I had the knowledge I had all the Bible stories. I'm very thankful for the church, at least that I grew up in, for it grounding me, and at least at the time, believing those, I don't know if they believe them anymore, or they're true, but at least at the time, they, at least when I was growing up in the Sunday school, the information was conveyed to me that it's true, that it is true. So I appreciate that. But, and then, and then even that, so it was, there was facts about it, it was true, but then they never got to the third part. You actually have to believe it. You have to, you have to trust that the one who is saying all this information, like, it's for you. It's for you. So will you trust? Yes, you can know, you know, from, from a far-off distance, Jesus died on the cross. I mean, that was me. I was even concerned that people were going to hell. Little did I know, I was one of them. So, so what was the difference? Well, I, you have to come to a place of trusting in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. You can think that he died on the cross, but if, if you never like, appropriate that faith for yourself, guess what? It doesn't do you any good. And so there's many people filling many churches that just have those first two things, and they've never trusted, and they've never repented. Never repented. Never repented. Have you all repented? Okay, you have to repent and turn away from your sin and trust in the Lord. So people have this head knowledge, but no heart knowledge. 
So you have to have Jesus in your life, and, and brothers and sisters, he has to be at the center. He has to be at the center. You know, if your life is like a circle, some people, you know, he's just barely inside the circle. No, he has to be at the center of your life. So if you want to be set free like this verse is talking about, guess what? You have to abide. What does that mean? That means walking with Jesus. That means fellowshipping with him. That means having communion with him. That means walking in obedience. Think about if you're like, I abide in Jesus, but I just do what I want to do. Does that make sense? No. Are you abiding in Jesus? No, you're just abiding in yourself. So you can say all you want about what you're doing, but your life reveals the truth. Your actions show what you really believe. So if you're going to abide, guess what? People should be able to look. People should be able to see you. People should be able to see the actions. And does it show that you're abiding in Christ? So then, if, if that's true, if you abide in Christ, um, then you'll know the truth. And the truth will set you free. Look at Acts chapter 17. Acts 17, verse 10. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Okay, so, I mean, what are they doing? They're hearing the word. They're wondering if it's true, and what do they do? They dig into the Word to find out if it's accurate or not. So they, they've got like that, I mean, they're Jews, so they believe in the Old Testament. They've got the first two, really. Then the question is, are they going to accept Jesus? Are they going to assent, do more than just assent, but are they, they going to trust? Are they going to repent of their sins and trust? And what does it say? Many, verse 12, many of them therefore believe. Not all of them, though, right? But many of them believed. They got to the point where they had to make a decision. Were they going to repent and trust? They had the knowledge, they had the assent, were they going to walk it out? Many of them did, praise the Lord. Listen, legalism, it wants others to think like you do on issues that the scriptures don't give prohibitions or requirements. And here's the thing. Our flesh... It takes like one of two paths. Okay, one of two paths. But our flesh loves to veer off course. You ever been on the roads in Belize? There are some bumpy, bumpy, bumpy roads. Okay? They make our bumpy roads here look like smooth roads. There's very bumpy roads. And, and um, one, of the, one of the places we go, one of the ruins sometimes we visit, um, they've since paved it a little bit better. But um, what should probably be just like a 30-minute drive takes like an hour and 15 minutes to an hour and a half. Like the bus is going like 15 miles an hour, weaving in and out of potholes, and it's just, it's, it's bumpy. <clears throat> Listen, you can take the bumpy road and, and tell yourself how great the ride is and how smooth the sailing is, and, and you can deceive yourself and trick yourself into thinking, hey, this is great. Meanwhile, as you get jostled all around, and... <clears throat> The flesh 
Here's what the flesh does. It shows itself by throwing wide open the door to all sorts of compromise. And, and let me tell you this. Small compromise leads to big compromise. Small compromise leads to big compromise. Listen, when a, when a Christian husband commits adultery, I mean, that didn't just like happen in a day. It was a slow slide of many bad decisions along the way. He didn't just wake up one day and decide to do that. No, there was all sorts of warnings going off, all sorts of flags being waved, and he ignored them or he didn't care. Okay, small compromises along the way. And then, oh, a little bit bigger, but they're a little bit bigger, but because he's already compromising the small, he doesn't even realize how much bigger they are. And then bigger compromises, and then bigger compromises. Okay, small compromises lead to big compromises. You, you can't compromise. You, get, you, have to, you have to abide in Christ and walk with the obedience that he calls us to walk in. No compromise. So here's the thing. If I started listing off sins, many people would say, oh, I'm not susceptible to that. Oh, I'm not susceptible to that. Oh, I'm not susceptible to that. If that is you, then you're a fool. Okay? You're a fool. A biblical fool. But you're still a fool. Because <clears throat> if you are breathing... You're susceptible to all sorts of sins. And so many people <clears throat> have said to me, or I've heard them say, I'll never do that. And what happens? They do it. They do it. Listen, be humble enough to recognize that you're not beyond sinning in some grievous way. Know your heart well enough to know that you can sin in some of the most grievous ways. King David, a man after God's own heart, a man after God's own heart, fell into such a dark place that he, he, he committed adultery and then murdered the lady's husband. If you would have asked him years before, do you ever think you could commit adultery? Do you ever think you could murder someone? No. Yet he did. So be humble enough to recognize you're not beyond sinning in some grievous ways. There's also a path, so there's one, that's one path. The other path is where we, we, uh, we just throw the, the door wide open to a narrow set of rules. Sometimes we take something like that and then we end up setting such narrow rules because here's the thing, the flesh likes to do one thing and one thing only. It wants to be in control. It wants to make the decisions. It doesn't want to abide in Christ. And so it either looks to indulge or it looks to deny. Because if, it's, if the flesh is, is denying itself, then it's still the one that's in control. Listen, how does this even happen? Well, because believers worship the unholy trinity, me, myself, and I. All right? And they're more concerned about what's best for them than picking up their cross and following Jesus. In every generation, and we've, we've got... I, all the generations here, young to old, every generation has its own set of challenges. It really does. And every generation has its own lures and temptations. I was thinking about this the other day. 
I, go, I have a couple different routes I go running on. And the one route that I run the most, um, for whatever reason, just happens to take me by a couple uh, ponds slash lakes. And there's this one pond that I have to run by, and there's always people fishing there. Like all the time, people are fishing in this pond. I think you can't keep the fish. So that's why they can keep fishing there, because there's always fish to catch. But it's a very small pond, but people are fishing there. And the, and the way that the path goes, the little sidewalk I take, um, they're close enough that I'm always concerned if they would just like take their rod back at the right time, I'd be caught. Like I would get the lure. <clears throat> and the way the sidewalk is, I can't eat, it's like, it's kind of like a little, a bit of a drop off. So I couldn't, to, to run down right there, it would just, it was, it's not really possible. So, and they're close enough that probably just one or two strides and over t towards them and I could touch them. So I'm, I'm always nervous. I see them and I can see them in the distance and I'm like, okay, okay, okay. And I'm running towards them. And what do I do? Well, I like, <clears throat> I prepare for the lure to possibly try to snare me. I'm not kidding. And so I'm like, you know, squashed over on the side of the sidewalk and I'm kind of like turning my head and I like close my eyes and I'm like, okay, just run straight for 10 feet with your eyes closed. <clears throat> what, why am I doing that? I don't want to get caught in the lure. I'm doing everything I can to not get lured in. Literally. Well, well look at Proverbs 5, okay? Look at the admonition that we're given. My son, Proverbs 5, verse 1, My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding, that you may keep discretion, and your lips may guard knowledge. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is, as bit she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death, her steps follow the path to Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander, and she does not know it. And now, O sons, listen to me, and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her, and do not go near the door of her house, lest you give your honor to others and your years to the merciless. Lest strangers take their fill of your strength, and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. In the end of your life you groan when your flesh and body are consumed, and you say, how I hated discipline, and my heart despised reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructors. I am at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. What's the warning against the adulterous woman? Who's he warning, though? The men who can be lured in. They can be, and then the description keeps going on. You know, you're just, the, snare, the, the trap is being set. You're going to be caught in the snare. Listen. Porn trains you to fall into this trap. That's what it does. Porn trains you to fall into this trap. Young men, do something with your life. Okay, it's more than movies. 
more than video games, more than sports. Do something for Jesus. You don't have to lead a million souls to Jesus, but you should be sharing your faith. And you don't have to disciple thousands, but how about discipling one? So decide what is worth more, your integrity or your pleasure, your walk with Jesus or your walk in the flesh, your eternal soul, heaven or hell. You have to decide. But walk and walk boldly with God and make a difference for the kingdom. Video games, they're going to fall away. Movies, they're going to fall away. Sports, it's going to fall away. What's lasting is your soul. What's lasting are the souls of the people in this room, the people sitting in front of you, behind you, and next to you. That is what's going to last. Everything else, nothing else is making it into the next life. Nothing else is going. Young women, you have to drown out the siren calls of the feminist world. How do you do that? With the word of God. You have to abide. You have to abide with Jesus. You have to be a part of the vine. Listen, prestige, honor, respect, titles, positions, they don't really mean much in the kingdom of God. They don't. This is coming from a guy who has a couple of those titles. I was, I was thinking about it the other day. But, you know, the first year I got my doctorate, like, I'd wake up, like, every other morning. I'm like, oh, I'm a doctor. That's kind of cool. <laughs> but, I mean, I don't even think about it anymore. And sometimes when people are like, Dr. Bond, I'm like, oh. Oh, yeah. Like, who cares about the titles or the positions, the initials behind your name? Like, some of the, the most... The, the, the most stupid people, the stupidest people, um, are, are, are do, have initials behind their name. They have doctorates. And they're very foolish. And, and some of the smartest people um, didn't even graduate from high school. It's true. I can introduce you to some of them. Listen, ladies, what are you called to do? You're called to clothe yourself with Christ. We're going to get to that in Colossians, next chapter. But clothe yourself with Christ, and daily you have to put them on. It's a deliberate decision. It's a conscious decision. I choose Christ. We have to say that. Stand up and be counted. So you take his yoke upon you. Is it a heavy yoke? In some ways, yes. In some ways, no. In some ways, yes. But you listen, there's a heavier yoke, and that's the yoke of not wearing the yoke of Christ. That's a really heavy yoke. You've all heard the hand that rocks the cradle. What is it? Rules, rules the world. It's, it's a poem by William Ross Wallace. And, 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 he's, and he's praising motherhood. And he's saying it is the preeminent force for change in the world. And the last line of each stanza says, for the hand that rocks the cradle is the hand that rules the world. That's where we get that, that phrase from. Motherhood is a glorious calling. There is none higher. There's none higher. Amen? You guys still in the Proverbs passage? Good. 
Look at verse 13 again. <clears throat> it says, I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ears to my instructors. So, people were in, were in trying to instruct in this, in, in this, trying to instruct this young man, and what happens? Oh, he doesn't listen. He doesn't listen. He doesn't listen. Look at Proverbs chapter 1. How does he begin it in verse 8 of chapter 1? Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. And then he begins to instruct them. But what's his initial admonition? Hey, receive the next 31 chapters. Receive the instruction that I'm going to give you here and throughout life. And if you want to be foolish and you want to be stupid and you want to walk in ignorance and sin, then don't listen to anything that the authorities in your life who love you say to you. Just reject it flat out. But if you want to walk with the wise, guess what you do? You walk with the wise. If you want to walk with the wise, you walk with the wise. If you want to be wise, what do you do? You surround yourself with wise people. So you see people that you want to be with? Do you see people that, that you want to emulate? What do you do? You try to be around them. You try to put yourself in their company. And there's nothing wrong with that. The wise walk with the wise. So if you want to be wise, start walking with the wise. You know, Tim Ward uh, passed away this this last week. Many of you uh, knew him. David Vaughn was the founding pastor at Liberty, and, and Tim came on staff as the second pastor at Liberty. Served faithfully for many years. Faithful people faithfully pass the message on. And what did Tim do? He faithfully passed it on. Okay. He and David Vaughn discipled me, both of them, uh, the, the two most key people in my training by far. And so I've been thinking about it. <clears throat> you know, what do you do when, when the next generation starts to go to be with the Lord? Because that's, what, that's where I'm at in my 40s. The next generation is either going to be with the Lord, already with the Lord, or preparing to go to be with the Lord. So what is incumbent upon my generation and the generations underneath to faithfully pass on the message. Tim's life first, 2 Timothy 2.2, and the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, and trust to reliable men who will also be able to teach others. There's at least three generations mentioned in that verse. Paul passing it on to Timothy, passing it on to others, who can then pass it on to others. So really four. <clears throat> so what do you do? when that next generation starts to pass away. Well, they've already handed you to the baton, and so the question is, what are you going to do with it? Like, you're holding it. Okay? They've run their race. Many of them ran, ran it well. The baton has been handed. You're holding it. You've got to decide. Will you keep running? Will you keep running? Think about John the Baptist. I mean, he dies a, a quick death and a pretty early death. You think his disciples just gave up? 
You think they just stopped? Even Timothy, after Paul's death. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 4. So this is Paul's uh, last book, the last chapter of the last book in the scriptures uh, that he wrote. And listen to what he says. This is him writing to Timothy, knowing that his end is near. 2 Timothy 4, verse 1, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. And as for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. That's his charge. That's, what he, that, that's his charge. And then what does he say? For I, verse 6, am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. So, brothers and sisters, heartache and heartbreak come. But we press on. We're holding the baton. And we're called to pass it on to others. So we're running, and we're looking to see who can we hand it off to. And it's the next generation. Listen, tragedy will strike, but we press on. Pain and suffering come, but we press on. So we have the baton, and we keep running. Listen, the true test of your training and your walk is how you do when, when, when those that came before you are no longer around to train you. Because now they're not there to hold your hand. You've received the training. You've received the training. And so now you go. And you're faithful to pass on the message. Luke 6.40, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. At the center of this, at the center of our walk, is the gospel itself. That's why back in Colossians, he's talking about the substance. All these things are shadows. You know, the, 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 the feasts, th those are pointing to Christ. Why don't, why don't we celebrate them? Because they were pointing to Christ. They were pointing to Christ. So we don't celebrate them anymore because we have the substance. We don't, need, we, don't have, we don't need the shadows because we've got the substance, which is Christ himself. So the gospel cuts through and, and discards the tangled mess of sin and legalism. And the gospel says, uh, Jesus laid down his life for you. You can have forgiveness of sins in Christ. You must repent and believe in the finished work of Jesus. 
So that, that's the gospel there, and it's right at the center, and it cannot take a back seat. It can't take a back seat. It can't be pushed to, to the periphery. And we don't add anything to the gospel, and we don't take anything away. Why, why are we even preaching the gospel? Because we want to see lives changed. We want to see the kingdom built. Why are we sending the cooks off? Because we believe what this word says. That without Jesus, no one gets to know the Father. No one is forgiven of their sins. No one gets to heaven. You have to have Jesus. So we've got uh, literally billions of people going to hell, never even heard of Jesus. And so what we're going to do as our church is we're going to take the cooks and send them out and be like, we're going to make a difference with the little slice that the Lord has given us. That's what we're going to do. Are we going to save billions, this church? No. Will the church? Yes. This church, we're going to do what the Lord calls us to do. Okay? So sometimes what happens is, is people hear billions and they're like, well, why even try? Because the church united, working together, and individual churches doing what God calls them to do does save the billions. And we don't know how many uh, hundreds or thousands or tens of thousands or maybe hundreds of thousands the Lord might use this church to, but we know what we're called to do, and so we're going to do it. And we leave the work that the, only the Holy Spirit can do, we leave it to him to do it. Whether it's the hundreds of thousands, the ten thousands, or the hundred thousands. But we know that if we do it, the Lord does promise a harvest. He promises a harvest. He promises a harvest. The, the harvest is plentiful. He doesn't say if the harvest is there. No, the harvest is plentiful. So we're sending out workers. Sometimes the work is done here, you know, right outside this door. We're preaching to four or five hundred people. And sometimes it's done on the other side of the world. We're sending the cooks. We're supporting them. We're praying for them. We're getting them out there. Okay? Here and far. We're doing both. Uh, one, a lady came up to me after, uh, towards the end of the evening last night and, and uh, really appreciated uh, us sharing the gospel. And, and she said, you know, my church does you know, different things like this um, and they don't usually preach the gospel. Like, you have, you know, an audience of four or five hundred people. I would believe we, me personally, I believe we would be wrong to not seize that opportunity to share it. Okay? You know, it's kind of like bread and water. We, we, can, we can give people, like, a physical food, but, but they, need that, they need the living water of Jesus. So we can sustain them for a short time with some, you know, we can make them laugh and, and do some games, and we should, and that's good, but... They need the thing that lasts. They need to drink from the well of eternal life, which is Jesus himself. So when we have that opportunity, we take the opportunity. We take the opportunity. The gospel has to be at the center. And too many times, there's been too many bridges that we tried to build, and they're bridges that are going nowhere. We're trying to build friendship bridges. There's nothing wrong with building friendships. But oftentimes, we have opportunities and we just push off that opportunity to share because we think, oh, next time, oh, next time, oh, next No, we just got to seize that opportunity. We take the opportunity. And too many opportunities we've lost thinking, oh, next time, next time, and then there's never a next time with that person. So we take the opportunity. Look back at Colossians as we wrap up here. 
Colossians 2.17. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Everyone here who is a believer, we are blessed beyond imagination that we have the substance, which is Christ. The thing, you know, <clears throat> the Jews now, they, I mean, Jesus is available to them. And in the Old Testament, the thing that they longed for came, and then they rejected him. And even the Gentiles, the message has been brought to many of them, and they've rejected it. If, if you've been saved by God, you are blessed beyond belief. Blessed and blessed and blessed and blessed. God was gracious. He didn't owe you or me anything. What he owed us, honestly, was hell. He owed us his wrath. And in his mercy, mercy because of, of what Jesus did, he diverted his wrath onto his son so that you didn't have to receive the wrath of God. And that's available to each person. You can avert the wrath of God because of what Jesus did for you. He received the wrath. You can receive the forgiveness. You can receive his righteousness. Not a righteousness of your own, as we find out in Philippians and are reminded of, but a righteousness that is none other than Jesus Christ himself. You have the righteousness of Christ, then you can stand in the presence of a holy God, unashamed. With boldness, Hebrews tells us, we can approach the throne. Why? Because we have Christ. And if you're clothed with him and he's living inside you, you're blessed. And so then we walk with that hope. We walk with that, that confidence that we can come before uh, the God of the universe, the king of this earth, as Psalm 47 says, but more importantly, our Heavenly Father. He is a good and gracious Father. Way better than the best dad on this earth ever could be. And he loves us with an everlasting love. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So he sent his son to lay down his life so that we could be united with the Father in a right fellowship. Let's pray. Father, it is by your mercy and grace that we can even stand here and praise your name, that we can even be counted as one of yours. And we thank you, Lord, that you have saved us, redeemed us, justified us, sanctified us, glorified us. You have done the work. And we thank you that your son said, it is finished that he finished the mission you sent him on and he redeemed a people for your pleasure. Thank you, Lord, for all the riches that we have in Christ. Thank you that we have the substance, not just the shadows. Those shadows pointed toward your son and in due time, at the proper time, you sent Jesus for us. Lord, continue to bring people into your kingdom. Continue to use us to bring people into your kingdom and continue to do your work through us. We pray this with the authority you give us in Jesus. Amen.